Gospel of John. I want to be sure that we're uh, connected to it well, and I want to talk about something that's pretty important in life for all of us, but something that's really important for me, indeed, is like knowing why things exist, uh, knowing the purpose or the utility of an item. If you've ever been rummaging through, even your own, everybody has a junk drawer. Am I the only one? Like, we just kind of Throw it in the junk drawer, and then it's kind of cool as a kid to go through that from time to time, and you see what's in it, and you're kind of pulling stuff out, and you're like, what is this for? What is that? Like, what do you do with that? Uh, And sometimes I've even seen, like on TV, people will bring a contraption out, and they will, uh, they'll kind of go, what do you think this was? I remember one in particular. It was weird. It was kind of a rectangle here. It had two smaller rectangles below it and a crank, like, like, and I was like, what do you, what is the crank? What do you do with that? Uh, and everyone's trying to guess what it was. Of course, if you guess what it was, you win a prize, and no one guessed it. And what it was was a, an old-fashioned card shuffler. And so as you do the dial, it would, it would shoot cards back and forth, dun, 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 dun. and then you could do it again, and you would actually just reorganize the deck. And I was like, I need one of those. I've never found it since, you know, as seen on TV. I've never seen it. Uh, but it's pretty cool to find something and figure out what its utility is. What it's, well, why does this exist? And yet here we are in the Christian life very often, and we'll talk about things like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We'll use words like Trinity. Uh, we might use words like sanctification, righteousness, judgment, sin, death, uh, rebellion. We use all these words that show up in a sermon or in a service or in a small group that you might be in. And then after that, it's kind of like, I, I don't use those words anywhere else. Uh, and, I, and I'm not even sure what to do with that. And I think one in particular for our brand of evangelicals is uh, who the Holy Spirit is and, and how he functions for the church. We've talked about this in previous weeks where it really feels like you talk about the Holy Spirit either just kind of non-existent. Like the Holy Spirit's just, he's over here and we don't know what to do with him. And so, uh, but we know that he does good things. Or it gives spiritual gifts, stuff like that. You go over here where you're like, this Holy Spirit is everything, and he is all that's going on. This is all that our services are about. And so you kind of live in between the poles. Uh, if you you know, don't know, our church is a part of the Acts 29 network, and one of the pieces of being Acts, Acts 29 is a doctrinal distinctive of the necessity. We, we rely on the necessity of the Holy Spirit for ministry, which is a pretty broad way Trying to, trying to be big tent, accommodate different understandings of how he functions in the life of the church. But as we've already seen in the Gospel of John, and we will see today, Jesus can help us understand things about which we are confused. He gives instruction on the Godhead, his Father, his actions, the Holy Spirit's actions. We can see how he, the Spirit, functions in our lives. And so if we don't understand, I'll say this, if we don't understand the Holy Spirit, maybe I'll say correctly or with maybe a a good grid or a proper understanding or grasp on how he's to function in church life, then we can get out of sorts rather quickly. Uh, And here's what I mean. Uh, Here's an example. You talk to somebody about the Lord Jesus and you can be as persuasive as you would like to be. You you, You can reason from the scriptures, you can reason from life, you can talk about sin, you can explain how things are going to be better, you can explain how trusting in Jesus is better, and I would love for you to be persuasive evangelists, where you actually do, you care, you care that the person or people you are talking to would believe the thing that you're sharing, right? that you're, 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 you're invested in their conversion, you're concerned about it. And so you do all of this work 
And it results in, as far as you can tell, just a complete, you know, talk to the hand because the face don't want to listen. It's just this moment where you're like, I'm not sure I could have been better at this. I'm not sure that I could have been more persuasive. I'm not sure that, I mean, I hit on every single thing you're supposed to hit on. I summarized the entire Bible in five minutes. I talked about what Jesus did. I quoted Isaiah and the suffering servant, and I talked about how that was Jesus. I talked about the death, burial, resurrection. Even when Paul is in 1 Corinthians 15, and he talks about how Jesus appeared to many people, I talked about that, and I talked about the new heaven and the new earth and how the Lord is going to remake this world and everything in it so that there will not be the presence of sin and that's going to be just a glorious thing. And I, and I painted this picture like the speed painter, right? Like I just, I just crushed it. And they seem to be totally uninterested. A misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit makes that your fault. Makes that your fault. You did it wrong. You should have said something else. And I think in our pride... We like to think that if, if that person in our lives who maybe doesn't know the Lord or isn't walking with the Lord could just talk to us, if they could just talk to us and we could get to them, then they'd be changed. If that person with that struggling marriage would just talk to me, then their marriage wouldn't struggle anymore. If that person who is hurting in addiction would just talk to me, they would no longer be an addict. If that person who's lazy and doesn't care about providing for his family would just talk to me, that would flip so quickly. But what does that actually mean? It means I'm the answer. If that person would just talk to me, they would feel differently about the situation. Well, in that, you've missed the... And, and, not the only, an important role of the Holy Spirit. Important function of the Holy Spirit for life and godliness and for conversion even. And so if we do that, we can, we can by default or by, definitely by mistake become more man-centered in our approach. And it depends on me. i got to get it done. i got to work real hard. i got to be sure everything's clear. Because if it's not, then God won't move. Now, do I want everybody in this room to give clear, articulate, God-glorifying gospel presentations? I sure hope so. I want, you to, I want you to know what you believe. I want you to be able to talk about it. I want you to, to embrace sound doctrine, love it, hold on to it, speak about it. But I don't, I don't want you to think that if you seem to swing and miss, or like the Astros, they don't know how, uh, if you seem to miss it, that it's somehow your fault because it's a misunderstanding on God's provision for us and for this world. And so today what we will get to see is an important ministry of the Holy Spirit both for the Christian and for the world. How he functions for the Christian and for the world. Not, this is not all the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. This isn't, this isn't that. This is Jesus instructing in his final hours about the Holy Spirit for his disciples so that they may, may understand what he is to do, how he is to function. Why do we, both Christians and non-Christians, need the ministry of the Holy Spirit? So we're John 6. We said 4 through 15. It's really 4B. And when guys like me say A or B, we, don't, we didn't say it there. Like Sarah's not like 4A through, because that sounds funny. Uh, but essentially what we mean is, is there are times when the verses don't actually divide the thought in a way that makes sense. And so the thought kind of ends halfway through the verse, and the next thought begins 
on the other half. That's what we mean. So we read through the first half of verse 16.4 last week, and we're now the second half of 4 as we get to another thought from Jesus in 4b. And he says this, um, why Christians need him, why the world needs him. That's what we're looking at. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? This is why he is about to say what he's saying. And the first thing that he talks about is why the Spirit is better for the church, for the Christian, for the one who follows Jesus. You could say, in this context, for the disciple, and then as the church age comes along, for, for us. Even though we're, you know, 40 or 40. For 50-ish days away, right? So, so why is the ministry of the Holy Spirit better for the Christian, the Christ follower? Spirit is better for the Christ follower even than Christ's own presence because the Spirit helps us better know Jesus. The Spirit helps, now that seems rather simple. The Spirit helps us better know Jesus, like that's it? Just better know him? Uh, yes, but it's an extremely important part of the ministry of the Spirit. So, He says, I'm going to him who sent me. And he's been talking about his departure for some time in the upper room. And he's like, I'm telling you these things, verse 6, because sorrow, sorrow, as I've told you these things, sorrow has filled your heart. But I'm going to tell you the truth, verse 7. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, we're getting different conversations from Jesus about what he's doing. When he's talking about going away here, he doesn't mean going away for his Uh, for his burial. He means going away in his ascension. It is better that I actually depart from this earth, as you know me, so that the Spirit, the Helper, will come. If I go, I'll send him to you. The disciples in that moment were focused on what they were losing, not what they were gaining. They thought they were losing Jesus, the Messiah, the one who led them and taught and did all of these signs. They're losing something if he leaves. And now he's going to go away and, he, and we won't be able to find him. But it's to our benefit that he goes away. And he's trying to give comfort to them. that Yes, it actually is better that I leave. Because the helper will come to you. We've already read in John that he says he will be in you. The, 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 the spirit actually has a different function. He has a different function for us than just the ministry of Jesus. Now, I have a buddy who wrote this song. He'll never hear this sermon, so I can say it. Um, oh, gosh, if he does. Anyway, it's a great song. It is. Um, and I love it. But he talks about all of these things that we go through in life. And then he has this line. Uh, and it's a, it's a really poetic line. He says all these hard things. He goes, all with Jesus by our side. And, and that makes a lot of sense. And Matthew... 28, the Great Commission, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And then he says, if you have like the NIV, it's like low, low is a good Bible word, uh, you know, but I will be with you always, even to the end of the earth. And I think sometimes we take the presence of Jesus with us as like he's beside us, cheering us on. Like, you can do it. You can, like a coach, right? You can do it. You can get there. I know you can accomplish it. Just come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You're right, cheering us on from the stands. Like, there's Jesus going, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'll be with you as you go out and do those things. And I think that has actually confused our view of the presence of God with us because it's like, I'm here. 
And I function in a certain way, and Jesus is here, and he functions in a certain way, and like we're like a, we like tag team it. So when I'm struggling, Jesus kind of comes along, and he kind of holds, holds me up and allows for me to function as I ought to function. And when I have some questions about what I'm supposed to do, I turn to Jesus. I'm like, Jesus, what do you think? So you get a good consult from Jesus. He doesn't even charge you, which is wonderful. Uh, but like, he gives you his advice. You go to the Bible, and you figure it out. And like, that's our sometimes view of Jesus. Like, I can just imagine him being here with me. And that's actually not what Jesus is teaching here. He's teaching that that spirit is going to be not just with us, the Spirit is going to be in us. His presence is going to be with us through the Holy Spirit. But that Holy Spirit, as we read later in Scripture, even in the book of Acts, indwells the disciple. But the Spirit, so the Spirit's ministry, changes the way we relate to God as disciples. And Jesus speaks to his disciples to show the contrast. And it's funny because I think the same way that he feels is often the same way that we might feel. Uh, the same, he, I'm sorry, the same way the disciples feel is sometimes the same way we feel. Because they feel like they're going to lose out because Jesus is gone. I can't, I can't not have you here, Jesus. You've been the one who's with us. You've done all the powerful work. How, could we have, how is it better for me that I am without you? And even as he instructs you, because I haven't told you this yet because I've been with you the whole time, but I'm about to not be with you, and so now you need to know what's coming next. And Jesus, in his grace and care and concern, tells the disciples what will be coming, but he does it at a time also that's appropriate for them to begin to comprehend it. He doesn't say it at the very beginning of his ministry, because that would, like, how many of us remember what somebody told us three years ago? Very few of us. Not really big rememberers. And so the spirit is better for us because it means Jesus' earthly ministry is done and the next phase is beginning. But it's sometimes hard for us to believe that that's better. That that really it is better for us to have God's word, God's people, indwelt by God's spirit, that that's actually a better way for us to go through life as we await his return than if Jesus were just walking around as church consultant for everybody, helping them try to do better at what they're doing. It's a hard thing for us to consider that it's actually better, that what you have now in, in Christ with the provision of his spirit and the provision of his word and the provision of one another who are indwelt by his spirit, that all of that is a better thing for us than if we were to just be beside Jesus. And I bet... Most of us in this room, in an honest moment, or maybe a struggling moment, would assume that if I could just be around Jesus, I would, I would pick that over showing up here at 1030 on a Sunday. But that actually misunderstands what we have in Christ. You go, I'd just rather, be, I'd just rather have him. If I could have him as my discipler, my leader, my counselor, my guide, that would be better. Jesus goes, no, this is better. What you have here is better. It's better because the Spirit's going to function in a different way. And as we see the continued revelation through Scripture, we see that this is actually a necessary part of God's plan. The sending of the Spirit, the indwelling of the disciples, and what the Spirit does in the life of the unbeliever for our sake. And why is the Spirit better for us? Well, Jesus continues in verses 12 through 15 uh, to say that. Okay, so you notice I didn't say 8, 9, 10, and 11. We'll get to what the Spirit does for the world in a moment. But again, he kind of bookends this with conversations with his disciples. So verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, 
He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has said is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we're still in the benefit of the Spirit for the disciple. We haven't talked about the benefit of the Spirit for the world yet. That's coming, that sandwich in the middle of this passage. And what we get, and John highlights this multiple times, and a lot of the gospel writers will read some kind of phrase where they say, oh, no one understood what it meant. No one knew what Jesus meant in that moment. And we didn't understand. And so what we actually get, are the, through those little statements like John will make, no one understood it, is that when the Spirit arrives and his ministry of indwelling begins for the Christian, that the Spirit makes what God has spoken clearer and able to be comprehended. And so you might be asking, how did so many people miss it for so long? So how did so many people miss it for so long? And we talked about the, the judicial hardening of the nation that was a part of the, uh, the, the Savior coming into the world and the need of a part of his mission of offering salvation both to the nation but to the world. We talked about that. But also we see that it's the Spirit's arrival that clarifies for so many who Jesus was and what Jesus was supposed to do. So a good litmus test, I'll say this, a good litmus test for actual activity of God's Spirit is not, hear me, it's not your enthusiasm for something. It's not your, necessarily your affections for something because how many of you have been misguided by your own feelings? All of us in some way. It's not how exciting something is. It's not whether or not you want to stay or leave. It is not exclusively just in whether or not you like the songs that are sung and and how it feels and does it feel good to be there. Though I do think the Spirit's presence is, is comforting. Um, and, and, but it's none, of, none of those things are really the litmus test for is the Spirit active the litmus test for the Spirit's activity is, do I understand Jesus better? Do I know more about Jesus? Do I understand more of his salvation, his provision, his word? Is my heart stirred toward him? We talked about this about a month ago. And we have so many other ways that the world talks about whether or not the Spirit's there, right? Like the, a Holy Ghost party or something like that. We get really excited about it. Uh, but, but that's not actually demonstrative one way or the other of the spirit actually being present because it's hearts and minds being focused on Jesus that is the presence and role of the Holy Spirit for the disciple. You can see it again. How does Jesus instruct? He will guide you. The spirit will guide you in all truth. Now, if you go back to verse 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. But the spirit doesn't come until Jesus' ascension. There's Jesus' ascension, there's about 10 days of waiting, day of Pentecost, that's when it happens. The Spirit comes. And so, interesting, now let's think about this. I have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. <clears throat> when the Spirit comes, He will tell you, because He speaks my words. Now, I don't know if you, you caught that, but if you just read, I have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now, that makes my mind move toward another time when Jesus is going to be beside his disciples instructing them, teaching them. I have many things to tell you, but you're not, not ready yet. But what he's actually saying is, 
when I leave and the Spirit arrives, then you will better understand the things that I want to tell you. Then you'll better understand the things that I want to say. That's when it will happen. It's not going to happen in the 40 days after his resurrection where he is instructing the disciples. Because even at that point, as you get to Acts 1.8, the disciples are standing there with Jesus. And they're like, okay, so is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom? Like That's the question that they ask after 40 days of being with Jesus. And Jesus says, that's not for you to know. And then in 1.8, he goes, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And so even after 40 days of having Jesus resurrected beside them, they're still coming to him going, so is now the time? And it is then in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit arrives on the day of Pentecost, that Peter, of all people, Peter, of all people, stands up. And he begins to weave together an explanation from Scripture as to what is going on, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, how they have rejected him, and what must be done about it. Peter couldn't string together two sentences at Jesus' arrest and his sentencing. I do not know this man. That's what he was able to say. Peter left to himself was nothing. Peter trying to live life in his own strength was nothing. Peter, even after being instructed by Jesus, he was glad Jesus was there. He was reinstated by Jesus later in John. We will get to that next year. But without the presence of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit, there was no ability for Peter to be able to explain with such clarity who Jesus was and what he was doing. Now, we've used this word in verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father said is mine, therefore I, uh, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And this is one of the coolest things that you get to see about Father, Son, and Spirit, is like the, the Jesus, right, the image of the invisible God, as the book of Colossians says, is speaking what the Father has declared. The reason these messages are all consistent, we talked about it, they're not three wills in God. You have to be able to trust each member of the Godhead, right? Uh, one God, three essences, three persons, one essence, whatever way that might be described. So Jesus, we go Father, Son, Spirit. Jesus is declaring what the Father has said. So you're getting one message. The Spirit is making what, the, what Jesus has spoken clear so it can be understood. So we have the Father to Jesus, Jesus to us, the Spirit clarifying and making clear what Jesus says so that we can understand it. There's one will in God. There is one message in God. There are not three wills. There are not three understandings. There's not anything like that. If John wants you to know anything in this moment, it is that God can be thoroughly trusted for what he says because he's holding nothing back. I still think sometimes we believe that, that God is holding out on us, that, he, that we don't understand what is enjoyable, that maybe like, there's this fun part of life that God doesn't want us to know because, like, that, because we're legalists. And we just think, well, I just, I just can't imagine that God would, would really want me to live a, f- a fulfilled, full, joyful life. But he actually does. It's just kept in abiding with him, being near to him, following after him. 
So the problem that exists for the disciple before Jesus' ascension and the sending of the Spirit is they will not understand what Jesus has to say. The solution is that the Holy Spirit will make Jesus' words known. Um, and you can say it like this. He brings Jesus' words home. And you go, oh, that's what it means. Now, this doesn't mean, hear me here, as you kind of open up your Bible or you get the Dwell app and you're listening and you're, or you're reading along and you're trying to move along with our reading plan, you know, maybe you've missed the first, for the last five months, like, I'm going to get back on that train, I got two months to go, I'm going to do it, more power to you, let's roll. It doesn't mean that just as you read it, you go, oh, this, and then, like, it, like, it all is just like, it's all just clicking, because there are many times, right, where you read something, maybe you read Joel and you get to Joel chapter 2 and, you, and you're like, I don't know where Peter came up. I don't know how Peter made this. I can't make this leap. Or it's not really a leap. I can't make this connection. And we look at ourselves going, I'm not sure how that, that really works. But here's what I would say. Through the steady, deliberate attention that you give to God's word, your understanding and comprehension of how it glorifies Jesus, speaks of Jesus, and how your understanding of Jesus will increase through that steady, deliberate attention. We talked a couple weeks ago about our desire for quick fixes, that if we just, I want to read a verse a day, and if I read a verse a day, or I get my verse a day email, and I read that, that that's really, that's what I'm going to need. But the work of abiding, that's like asking for a branch to be disconnected most hours of a week, but then for a little bit of time for the week, get reattached in hopes that it will continue to live. It won't happen. It won't happen. And so it is the constant, steady, regular application, both of God's word, God's truth, God's people, all of these things, and they would call them at times spiritual disciplines. All of these things help to, to, to move our minds and hearts in a God word or God glorifying direction so that we can give better attention to Jesus, understand him better. So prayer, as you saw Jesus speak about abiding, prayer became such an important part. Remember, he said multiple times, ask whatever you wish in my name and it will be given. That seems rather bold. And I bet in this room, we have a room full of people going, I've asked for a lot of stuff that I have not gotten. I prayed for a lot of things that have not shown up. They either the time for them to have been delivered has, not, has passed or I'm still asking and they haven't come. But we have to remember the connection. This has been a big challenge for me as I kind of go back through my list and list and list of prayers to go, are these things I'm praying for connected to the Lord, his will, and his ways? Or are they just connected to me? And might God make that clear? So we see, of course, abide in my word. There's abiding in prayer. Jesus has spoken through John 13. Remember John 13? He said it again in past weeks that our love for one another is a way in which we experience his love for us. Love one another as I have loved you. And so you're starting to see essential relationships that help our understanding of Jesus, increase our desire and longing for Jesus. They're all there, his word, prayer, his people, the way in which we share with one another, care for one another, love and serve one another, all of these things help us both in our abiding, our knowledge of the Lord, our prayers, and our worship. 
But we're Americans, and very often we, we want to put some minimal effort in in hopes that it will create maximum output. And that is not the way life in Christ works. So we have to consider even the condition of our own hearts and, and this is the great thing, ask that by his spirit, the Lord might make evident areas where we are inattentive, where we aren't paying attention, where we're not abiding. Sometimes that's clear. In fact, as I've said before, I talk to many Christians who just, they're all, like, like their number one, not their number one issue, there are lots of issues, but one of their main issues is they just don't care to read God's word. They don't care to. It's not like they forget. <clears throat> it's they know it's important, but they don't do it. They know it's important, but they don't do it. Or, or <clears throat> Christians who like to read God's word, but they don't really care for the church. You ever met those people? It's not you guys because you're here, so it can't be you guys, right? <clears throat> and so they're like, oh, I love the Bible. It's just the church people just really, I just don't like them. I don't like them. I'm like, well, neither do I. And I'm paid to. <clears throat> so how does that work? And, and so, so they go, oh, I just really love the Bible, but I don't care for the church. Like, well, I don't think you can actually love the Bible and, and, and not care for the church because that whole New Testament was written to churches. Like, so I don't, I don't see how you make that jump. Like, like I, don't think, I don't think you exist in Paul's mind. Like, there's not a Christian who just loves, like, loves reading the Bible but doesn't care for being with God's people. And so we see the way that these work together. But so often we do. We live siloed lives, disconnected from one another, lacking concern for God's word, lacking attention to God's word. And, we, and then we go, well, I'm just not where I should be. I'm like, I got a few reasons why at least we could start considering why you shouldn't be, right? It's, it's the same reason that we stand on the scale when we're 65 and go, oops. You know, like that's, I'm like, yeah, that started probably when you were 45, right? Like, like I feel the same thing. You go, gosh, I better get at it uh, because I can imagine, you know, uh, should the Lord give me more decades, I get to the end of that and go, yeah, not where I should be. Yeah, but it takes, like, attention and inattention work the same way, just in opposite directions. And so the Spirit does this, helps us understand. But the Spirit uses means. And if we're not a part of the means, engaging with God's Word, engaging with God's people, engaging in prayer, if we're not active in the ways the Spirit operates, I don't think we can really expect this thriving, enjoyable relationship with God. <clears throat> now, the bulk of this, because you know, most of you here are following the Lord, and I know you, and I love you, and I, and I know your hearts, but we have to recognize the ministry of the Spirit for the world as well. That comes in the middle. So he, remember, Jesus talks about the Spirit, <clears throat> why it's to his benefit. Then he talks about what the Spirit does for the world. And then he goes again to, this is why it's better for, for me to leave. So let's go to that middle part, verses 8 through 11. When he comes, that would be the Spirit, he will convict the world concerning, and we have three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then Jesus helps us. He actually explains what this means. So, Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And, and what that would really mean is not just they, they don't believe in him, but not believing in him in and of itself is a sin. But they're living a life, and you might have been this. This might be your testimony. I have my pen, like, you know, I'm in my class. Uh, you, might, you might have this as your testimony where, like, I didn't even think I needed God. I thought I was fine. I didn't have a need. Like, like things were okay for my life. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> I realized my need. 
I realized I wasn't the person I thought I was. I realized that everything that I thought I had together and everything that was going well for me was actually the reverse. Do you think you came up with that on your own? Like that things are great and now they're terrible? Do you think that, do we just make those about faces? No, we don't just make those about faces. This is me, the high schooler, who like, I was fine. I was, this is my little goofy testimony I've told from time to time. And I just, I'm like, I was fine. I, like, like most of you would have been happy to have me be your children. Most of you, right? Like some of you are probably like, yeah, you know, that Hans guy. But, but most of you would go, I think, I, in fact, I think I'd be an upgrade for most of your sons. And so I think if you had had me back like when I'm middle school, high school, you, I would have caused some problems for you, but you would have made that trade 100 out of 100 times, right? Like, so just hold that over your kids whenever you need to, right? Yeah. Ezra? Yeah, so yeah just be ready. Uh, we could have had Pastor Hans if we had a time machine. But then all of a sudden, I hear about Jesus whom I've heard about forever. I mean, I was kind of, I wasn't raised in the church. I was raised church adjacent. You know, it's kind of hard not to be in the South. And so you're kind of raised church adjacent. You're a CEO, Christmas and Easter only Christian. You kind of show up to stuff. And all of a sudden, like, somebody shares Jesus. Get this. The guy who shared Jesus with me was like a charismatic Assemblies of God pastor. If I'm one thing, I'm not charismatic Assemblies of God. Like, that is not, that's just not me. That dude shares the gospel. He, and I'm like, I need to change. I don't know why the heck I was saying it. I need to change. What did I need to change from? Like, like I was really, like I said, I was fine. What happened? Something happened where I realized that I thought I was fine and I was not. I thought I had it together and I did not. Concerning sin. The Spirit will convict the world concerning sin. The Spirit convicts the world regarding righteousness. And this is why, because the world's ways and the Lord's ways are opposite one another. They long for and desire different outcomes. And one is geared towards, well, you could say against God, but really towards self. And one is against self and toward the Lord. If we were just to kind of summarize it. Two ways. And the world will look at its way and what it defines as good, right, and appropriate and say this is what is right and you need to believe it concerning righteousness. I remember talking to a friend of mine who had uh, put her faith in the Lord and she had said just as much. Uh, she, she was like, I was convinced that everything I believed about how the world worked was the right way. I was convinced that my understanding on life and on politics and on people and on marriage and family and everything, I was convinced and I was going to fight for it. I was sure of it. But what? The Spirit moves. And it doesn't, here's the thing, it, doesn't, it shows you God's ways. Nobody can claim like I had it mainly together and then God showed me the rest. It's like, no, I didn't have it together. (laughs) I wasn't put together, and the Lord changed me. Concerning sin, when you think you're fine, concerning righteousness, when you think your ways are right, and you think that Jesus' ways are wrong, and there's a flip there. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. That's an interesting one. That's an interesting one. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. 
But the death of Christ is a, uh, it's a notice to powers of darkness that says your ways don't win. And so what you see in all of these, sin, righteousness, judgment, is that there's a way the world operates and there's a way the world understands and there's a way that people of Christ's kingdom operate. And these two citizenships are opposite one another. And you don't just change residencies. You don't just change passports. The Spirit has to reveal it. This is why one of the most important ministries for evangelism for us is the ministry of prayer. It is not the exclusive ministry of evangelism because how will they hear if no one says anything? You must speak. But one of the most important ministries for evangelism, for seeing people change, is the ministry of prayer because it is there. This is the way I talk about it. When you have a way the world is and you have a way that God's world should is and should be, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the way you get from this world to that world is through prayer. Asking God to move in people's hearts, in your heart, in your family's hearts, asking God to move. And so the way that this happens is through prayer, which is an entirely dependent ministry. It's like, like it is saying, I can't get this done. I can't. I can't strong arm it, I can't will it, I can't produce it, I can't make it. I cannot do this. Prayer is one of the most humbling things a Christian can do. Because it says, I don't have the power. I don't have the power. Christians need the Spirit to better know Jesus. You could say the world needs the Spirit to better know Jesus, but I'm going to add a line to that. The world needs the Spirit, and Christians, to better know themselves and realize who they are and realize what they need. That that's a ministry that only God can bring in the hearts and minds of men, women, and children who need Him so desperately. That is why we gather around this little circle at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. We pray that God moves. And that's not to say that Brad and Jen did not put in lots of work to get this together, to make sure everything would work as it ought. Not to say that at all. We put in all the work that we possibly can, and we still, at the end of the day, go, God, if you don't show up, this doesn't happen in any way that is enduringly effective. We just play church, we have some songs, we like to see one another, we grab some coffee, uh, and we go on with our day, and we wonder what's for lunch. Like, that, that's just it. Kind of like, check it, move it along. If the Spirit does not minister, even in these moments, even with all the preparation, to this end I labor, Paul says in Colossians, with all of his power that works within me. That Paul works really hard and he toils, but he does it with the power that works within him. What is the power that works within him? It is the Spirit. The Spirit, the divine enablement that comes from the Spirit for the ministry to the world and the enablement of the Spirit to the unbeliever that lets them see their need. Even today, I would just say this, even today, if there's some part of your life, believer or unbeliever, where you're here and you're going, golly, I just know, I know there's an area that's clear where I am not abiding, where I'm not following, where I know I need to change. Praise God. Because that takes the Spirit. Spirit. 
And it's so funny, even as a pastor, because I get this sometimes, we're like, you, I, I lay out like 45 different things that could change. The one thing I don't say is the one like, man, when you said that, that was just, I mean, like, it was so clear that I needed to change that. I'm like, I never said that actually at all, um, but I'll take credit. <laughs> Not taking credit. A lot of this ministry, though, let's not forget, it is not as if the disciples are over here just kind of doing their thing and the world is over here doing their thing. Jesus sends his disciples into that world. That a lot of the ministry, I remember I said this, this, the minute the Spirit uses means, a lot of the ways the Spirit is going to bring about conviction on sin, righteousness, and judgment is through the proclamation and work of the disciples in the world. The teaching of the gospel message, the instruction in who Jesus is, their need for repentance Jesus says this in John 15, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness about me, because you have, seen, you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus does not have a category of disciple who receives the Spirit and does not bear witness. That the disciple bearing witness in the world in her words and in her deeds, the bearing witness about the work of Jesus is a part of how the Spirit brings about conviction even in others. They're seeing you. And so do not separate these two worlds where you're just like, I'm just gonna be over here and be non-existent, never talk about Jesus, and I'm just gonna ask for him to move. That doesn't That doesn't work. Even Jesus in John 15 says, the Spirit's going to come and the Spirit will bear witness and you will also bear witness. Why? Because we have received the Spirit. That's what you see all throughout Acts chapter 2 that, uh, and the rest of the book. That's why in Acts 1, you will receive power and you will be, if you know the verse, and you will be my, what is it? Witnesses, right. Like, like, like there's, no, there's no hiding God's plan from us. God goes, here's how it's going to work. The Spirit's going to come. The Spirit will testify. You will testify. You will bear witness. The world will recognize their rebellion. They'll recognize that Jesus and his ministry and his way is right. Even after Jesus' departure and we don't see Jesus anymore, we'll go, that guy, that guy's right. And the ways of Satan become exposed and called out on the cross. The resurrection of Jesus shows us that triumph, that nothing could hold him. D.A. Carson writes it like this, if he, Satan, that'd be Satan, stands condemned by the triumph of the cross, the false judgment of those who follow in his train are doubly exposed. The need for conviction of this false judgment is all the more urgent. The world is condemned already and in desperate need to learn of its plight. Knowing the ministry of the Spirit is necessary for finding life in Christ and living life for Christ. Knowing the ministry of the Spirit is necessary for finding life in Christ and living life for Christ. You cannot have one without the other. His ministry in the life of the Christian and in the life of the world is urgent. And here's a cool thing to think about. Even at your conversion, before you were indwelt by God's Spirit, the Spirit was active 
in showing you your need. It is not as if the Spirit just shows up at conversion. It's like, okay, now let's get to work. The Spirit is moving before your conversion to demonstrate your need. And for some, maybe even in this room, this goes on for weeks, months, or years where you find yourself dissatisfied with life and you're not sure what's going on. It is not as if the Spirit just then shows up and goes, hey, let's get it together. Because you can't. It is all of those months and years and those words that might have been spoken and those simple phrases and simple prayers and letting your neighbors and letting your friends and letting your coworkers know that you pray for them and care about them. All of those little things are ministries of Christ's spirit, which by God's grace do work to draw men, women, and children to him. It matters how we live. We should pray the Spirit moves in our lives to make Jesus' words clear. And we should minister amongst the world and speak of our Savior and His truth and let the Spirit work. We should not look at a gospel statement or a presentation to somebody that is rejected, look back on that, and feel as if it is negative because they didn't want it. Because you're not sure at any given moment what the Spirit is doing. Doesn't Jesus say this in John chapter 4, talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman? The wind blows where it may, and so it is with the Spirit. You're not sure when the Spirit moves. You're not sure when the Spirit reveals. You're not sure where the Spirit convicts. And you can't put the Spirit in a bottle just to open up and dispense at your whims. Or in a lamp that you rub when you need to get something out of him. That's not how it works. We are completely dependent upon the ministry of the Spirit for the life that we live. And completely dependent on the ministry of the Spirit for the conversion of sinners. Not our persuasiveness. Not our power. Not our dollars. Not our words. If only we had said this, man, I didn't say this, and that would have changed him. I'm sure of it. That's like being in a political debate. Man, I had the takedown line, and had I just said it, I know, I know they wouldn't have had a leg to stand on. That's not the work of evangelism, making people feel ridiculous, trying to beat them down with your arguments. It's pleading with people to trust in a God who cares about them even in their rebellion, needing the Lord to see, to move in them so they see their need. And we can always, as a church, depend more on the Spirit. We should never be like, oh, we're good. I think I got the Spirit-dependent thing down. Like, it's great. I mean, he, he gets me out of bed. I don't even set an alarm anymore. Like, I just kind of roll with it. Just trust the Spirit to get me out of bed at noon, you know? Feels good. We can always be more disciplined in how we approach our relationship with God. Be more attentive. But we cannot box up, manipulate, or move the Spirit. The Spirit moves us, empowers us.